You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Episode 50, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format where you can learn about what physicians face through expert analysis. Today's expert is a resident physician, almost a staff physician, Dr. Marty McGrath. Dr. McGrath has created and is almost ready to launch a truly remarkable organization called Hope for Docs, which sounds like it may be rebranded soon to Hope for Responders. Dr. McGrath is a resident physician in psychiatry at Cleveland Clinic, and not only is she raising three children and finishing her psychiatry residency, she's obviously been pregnant a couple times during her residency, she decided in the last six months or so, it sounds like, to launch a nonprofit organization dealing with physician burnout. One of the real problems with burnout in physicians in getting treatment is that it's very hard to be confident that the anonymity of the process of treatment And so Dr. McGrath is looking for a way to find ways of having anonymous discussion groups, actual psychiatric help, and potentially the ability to access pharmaceutical agents directly without using any of the pharmacy benefit managers or group purchasing organization middlemen. All her prices are online and transparent, and there's actually a subsidized portion of that if for those who cannot pay completely. It will be for physicians, nurses, first responders like firefighters, police officers, EMTs, people who might be introduced to trauma, who have to work things out, people who suffer from mental illness, who are functional but still need some assistance. She's already secured the seed money, the website is launched, and she's ready to launch in, I believe, is eight or nine states in just a few weeks. I hope you'll find this entrepreneurial story inspiring and as impressive as I did as I continue to learn that there's no limits to human creativity and the ability to solve problems, and especially ones that unlock market forces, which are more likely to be successful and a way to get an end run around the current system that we think has so many problems as it is. As always, the show notes will be linked at theparadox.com slash 050. 
If you're new to the show, please hit the subscribe button. I'd really appreciate it. It costs absolutely nothing. And if you enjoy the show, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or wherever podcast player you happen to be using. And also share it with your friends, colleagues, and family. But without further ado, my discussion on Hope for Docs with Dr. Marty McGrath. Enjoy. Well, hello, folks. This is Eric Larson. I'm here with my new friend, Dr. Marty McGrath, who is weeks away from being a staff physician and no longer having to say, I'm just the resident. Thank you so much for joining me on The Paradox. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think one of the most, um, you know, through your medical training, it's interesting because you go, you start a medical student and then, of course, you do residency training. And then, then there's that point where you're, you no longer can say, I'm just the medical student, I'm just the resident. <laughs> and suddenly there's no one there. You are the, you are the backstop. And it's kind right. of, it's, <laughs> it's, it's liberating and unsettling at the same time. So yes. I'm sure you'll be fine. Uh, Dr. McGrath is training in psychiatry in Cleveland at the mm-hmm. Cleveland Clinic. Uh, residency program. And I had her on today through recommendation through Ellen McKnight, who met you and you had a very interesting project. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Hope for docs. But first, I want to find out a little bit more about you and sort of how your journey began getting to medicine and then ending up in psychiatry. Sure. Well, um, let's see. I was a chemistry major in undergrad. And uh, both my parents are physicians. My dad's a pathologist. Mom's a pediatrician. And so I kind of grew up um, in this world. I didn't really plan to go to med school, um, but I've always loved science. It's always been the thing that has drawn me. Um, and when I was nearing graduation, actually, I think I was at the end of my junior year, I thought, all right, so I have three options. I can either go for a PhD in chemistry, which I thought, my gosh, that's too nebulous. I'm not that creative. <laughs> <laughs> or I can go do industrial chemistry, which I'm sure would be fun. Um, but I thought, you know, not enough, you know, human connection. So, um, I thought, well, you know, I could always apply to med school. So I'm not one of those uh, very authentic people who has always known they wanted to be a doctor. (laughs) But um, it's funny. It just kind of, I I feel like I fell right where I was supposed to be. So, Well, and and my story is somewhat similar in that I I never planned on going to medical school. It was one of those things where I went to engineering school at uh, Michigan, uh, did my Um, undergraduate in nuclear engineering. And always the thought that, you know, if I decide to do med school or professional school, you can always do that. And near the my junior year, same thing, I sort of thought, thinking, I just don't know that I enjoy engineering enough to do this. Uh, yeah. So I it was, I wish you could say like some great story, but it's sort of like, yeah, I guess I'll go <laughs> to med school. And that was pretty right. much it. My, my father's physician as well. And so, I mean, I kind of knew what it was like. Uh, although I know my kids have a lot different a lot different uh, conversation at the dinner table than their friends. <laughs> and I'm sure it was absolutely the case with you, especially with the mm-hmm. pathologist for a father. Yes. I mean, you must have had all kinds of that. <laughs> yeah. And then your mom always talking about poop and pee and stuff. With nutrition, so. <laughs> right. Didn't bat an eye. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, so you, uh, so you went to med school and what drew you to psychiatry? Um, you know, I think the thing that really, just, it still gets me. I think it's never going to go away is that within, you know, the first 30 seconds of meeting you, somebody is somehow willing to attribute so much trust to you that they will tell you basically anything. And I just am in awe of that. Um, just such a privilege. I don't know. So that was, um, kind of had an inkling that I wanted to do psychiatry before I started my clinical rotations. So I, um, 
wanted it to be first and I was lucky it was. Um, and so it was kind of like, uh, meant to be, I actually, it was between that and anesthesia for a little while, <laughs> but <laughs> I know people are like, that, that's polar opposites, but really what a you know, pharmacology in, in each case. So. I guess. I mean, I think my conversations with patients usually last just a couple minutes, I suppose, unless you're doing ECTs where you're, <laughs> yours, mm-hmm. are, yours be much longer. Right, right. Uh, so you're finishing your psychiatry rotation mm-hmm. and or your residency. And, you know, the average person is going to go and find a practice, either go into private practice or work for an institution of some sort, you know, a healthcare system. Mm-hmm. But you thought, ah, that's easy. So <laughs> I'm going to do something different. So why don't you talk about your venture? And then I'm curious sort of sure. as a follow-up to sort of how you decided on this. Sure. Um, well, gosh, where to start? This That's a big question story. maybe. <laughs> well, um, I guess. So actually, I guess all of it kind of started with um, my own sort of experiences in the field. Um a lot of a lot of uh, circumstances kind of converged, and it was sort of um, a situation where I thought, "Wow, can I can I tolerate this, or do I just need to find an alternative career?" Um, and honestly, I don't know what made me decide to continue with medicine, but I'm so glad I did because honestly, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, so. And then I started to think about the things that were making me consider other paths. And I thought, you know, this is not an insurmountable problem. It can, it can be changed. So you're, you're in your second year residency, which I always think is kind of one of the harder ones because you've sort of oh, done yeah. your, you've done your, uh, I imagine your intern year is very similar to most people. You're doing probably half of it psychiatry and half of you just kind mm-hmm. of doing transitional year sort of thing. So you spend a year, right. a month in like surgery, a month in the ICU or somewhere like medicine floor, neurology or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you get a little bit of flavor for the rest of medicine. Uh, and then you're, then you're sort of your first year as a, as the resident in, in your, in your specialty full time, mm-hmm. uh, moving through right. different rotations uh, clearly, but it, and you've got different staff with different ideas and different opinions and you're sort of working under them. And so what about, what about their, that year that concerns you about psychiatry? I mean, was it, was it the, was it charting? Was it the, the patient contact? What, it, what about it was that, that, that made you really start rethinking why, whether you should even be there? Well, I, I had one particularly unfortunate experience. Uh, and I thought, you know, maybe I'm just really not cut out for this. It wasn't something that I did. It was just sort of like a environmental, like, man, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Um, but over, overall, I mean, this residency has been just, I mean, the people who are training me are just, you know, compassionate and brilliant and they really have our backs. So, um, I had a lot of, a lot of support during that time. And, um, I guess what, uh, didn't kill me, made me stronger. So, as it usually um, does. Mm-hmm, yeah, I, I'm in the fortunate bunch. So, um, I had always kind of thought about, you know, what what is it that is causing this what they call burnout? Mm-hmm. And the reason that I continue to use this term is because it's recognizable. It's widely recognizable, sure. as the World Health Organization would tell you. Um, and so, we can't fix something that we can't define. So, 
that's why I still use the term. Um, and it, it kind of just blows my mind what's happening. And the craziest thing about it is that we're so unaware of most of it. Um, and with the physician suicide rate being what it is, you know, two to three mm-hmm. times what it is in the general population, which is, you know, tragic enough. And surely it's a gross underestimation too, because, you know, on a death certificate, you don't, there's no, it, it's often listed as an accidental death or, right, you know, because right, there's right. still the stigma with it. So, mm-hmm. um, but the things that contribute to what we are identifying as burnout are, you know, the literature says it can be best addressed on a systems-based um, sort of platform. So, but that's not what we're seeing. Um, and I think uh, over the last two years, I've noticed since I kind of started uh, digging into um, the healthcare system and all of the things that we um, are up against, I calculated it one day and I was spending about 75% of my time doing administrative tasks. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of which really, to be honest, don't contribute to the care of my patients. Right. Um, And I'm sure that we can all attest to the fact that medical education requires certain sacrifices. Some of them we can anticipate before we enter it. Um, And some of it, uh, you know, some of these sacrifices are like kind of come out of nowhere. So, um, I have three kids. A lot of time uh, that I should have been spending with them was spent on, well, my career, which I, you know, I don't, re- I don't regret my career, mm-hmm. but um, I made these sacrifices for a reason. And that reason is because it is so rewarding and just so humbling and amazing to actually practice as a physician. It's, I mean, I can't think of a better profession, to be honest. It's, you get to keep your mind stimulated. You get to have the, like the deepest human connections you can imagine. And you can make a huge difference on somebody's life. What, what else could you want really? Sure. Um, but I was noticing that I was spending a lot of time on things that weren't in service of those things. Mm-hmm. Right. And life is too short to waste time. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. So, so I guess you'd say you you experienced probably early burnout or some sort of burnout symptoms, and so and you got through that with the help of mm-hmm. colleagues and yeah. your uh, faculty, and it mm-hmm. caused you to just reflect and you know why you had it, and and then if there's something that you could do to help others to try and either prevent it or recover or you know work their way through it as well, mm-hmm. and and I think you know we've ta- I've talked a number of times in the show. I mean the number one professional satisfier of course for a physician is the relationship with the patient. Uh, that's mm-hmm. overwhelmingly what people, what keep people uh, in the profession and drive them to do right. better. Because even for someone like me who talks to people for a few minutes, <laughs> I actually have right. to establish rapport and I get it develop a relationship with the patient. And mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoy the challenge of trying to do that very quickly because I, right. I don't have any time. Uh, but it's important part of the job for me and it's part, part of the career that, that makes it rewarding for me. So anytime that I'm spent not doing anything that's advancement of anything useful and I'm just collecting data is clearly is frustrating. And that's what leads to burnout, especially when it's, especially if it comes in and interferes with the, your, your ability to make that relationship. Right. I mean, it's, right. it's one thing if it's, you're just doing extra administrative tasks, like for legal medical legal reasons or something, but if you're doing right, something right. that is keeping you from what you should be doing, that's where mm-hmm. the frustration leads. So at some point you came up with this idea of hope for docs. Yeah, which is at hopefordocs.org. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And why don't you describe what Hope for Docs is? Sure. So um, it's kind of could be reduced to the immediate interventions that we're going to be um, doing, but really it is an organization that is a nonprofit advocacy organization that is meant to support physicians, medical trainees, nurses, first responders, all of these people um, who have three things in common. Um, So the first one is that they have a direct effect and a responsibility for health and safety and well-being of other people. The second thing is that they have, you know, frequent exposure to trauma, physical, psychological, vicarious trauma, any, you know, there are a lot of things that fall under the trauma category. Sure. And compromised independence because of, you know, strict regulations. Um, And the third thing that really kind of um, over, I don't know, I don't know, overshadows all of this is that there's an expectation um, both external, so societal and within one's own social or professional circles and internal, internal of, um, you know, kind of superhuman abilities. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> right. We're, we're expected to be consistently flawless. Um, and that has a lot of implications. Um, so the pressure of not being able to ask for help. So that's a huge one not being able to face being seen asking for help. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, there are licensure concerns, which are very real. Um, You can't get disability insurance that's unrestricted if you have any kind of mental health diagnosis in the past. Um, It's just really, it's not a, it's not a friendly um, environment in which to get mental health care. So, um, and, and the other thing is, physicians and other people in this responder category are kind of, um, you know, because of these extraordinary circumstances that they have to face all the time, they um, they react to it. it. It builds up over time, and then I can't imagine anyone not being affected by it. So it, we are set out to provide uh, mental health care, so psychiatric care and um, counseling, and also non-clinical support, so peer support that's through a HIPAA-compliant um, interface but um, we're very focused on evidence-based interventions and um, so that's one piece of it but really the biggest part is that we want to join this big revolution of kind of opening the door to another way to deliver medical care because what we're seeing is that there's third-party interference so Insurance companies compromise the quality of care. They take Mm -hmm. all of our time. Uh, You know, we're not authorized to provide the care that we believe is really the best. Um, Interferes with the doctor-patient alliance. And then it leads to inescapable administrative tasks that exist for reasons beyond the welfare of our patients. So I I, this is a little bit dark, but I liken it to learned helplessness kind of. Yes. So it's, it's incredible. Um, so essentially what we learn in all of these regulations is that we aren't able to get out of it. And I can see why. I mean, our, our society is so insurance dependent mm-hmm. and it's going to be like that for a while. Um, but, but we're not helpless. And this isn't, we don't have to be, um, we don't just have to let it happen. Um, I would say, though, that 
a big component of the problem is the fact that so many medical specialties are hospital dependent. I'm sure you can you have an appreciation sure, of yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so you're and, employed, um, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's fascinating. And this is something I didn't actually pick up when I reviewed your website and was looking through things. It, it's uh, it's very interesting because you not only are looking for ways of, I guess it's the the sort of the standard view of this is, oh, we're providing mental health services for medical professionals who are, are mm-hmm. facing trauma, who are facing burnout. And, and what I think the, the neat part about this is you're saying, well, a lot of the part of burnout is this learned helplessness. It's because mm-hmm. of the administrative burden. It's a third-party payer system. So, the, so we're going to make sure that our system that we're using to help treat people doesn't contribute to the burnout itself. Exactly. And mm-hmm. and that's really, I mean, that's that takes a lot of introspection to kind of figure that out. Um, so I really, I think that's a really great idea. And and so you're almost like a, so you're you're almost a two-part pronged in that sense. You have, you're an advocacy platform as well as treating treating the symptoms, right? You're like treating mm-hmm. and prevention. Right. And I really think the biggest, the biggest, most important piece of this is that, yes, people need access to really safe, very easy, affordable mental health care, but we have to get to the root of the problem or else nothing's ever going to change. Sure. Right. So and so that's what we're trying to do. And so it's, so on your, on your website, I mean, there's, you have tra- fully transparent pricing, which mm-hmm. is not the case most places. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, and I think you have a sliding scale for for uh, people who may not be able to afford the the mm-hmm. uh, full cost of the care. Right. Um, and why don't you? What's your feel for mental health? Uh, I guess the access to it for physicians. In um, is it necessary to have a sort of a, almost like a totally third party system like you have where you're not even like within the same healthcare system where they, where the physician might be practicing. Is that important for uh, privacy reasons or for career reasons to, to not have that stigma they make that the the doc may carry around? Yeah, I really think it is. Um, Obviously I'm biased because (laughs) you're setting up this is very important, (laughs) but um, I think there are so many different things that we see that contribute to people's avoidance of care. And regardless of what might be the ultimate outcome of seeking care within uh, an integrated system, a lot of times that's enough to deter people's seeking care. And so we really want to take all of the questions out of that. And I think, unfortunately, in many cases, there is a danger to seeking care um, within a system that is um, very uh, intertwined with you know, mm-hmm. a, a hospital chain or a school or, and that's absolutely not to say that there's anything unethical going on, but, and while like Ohio's physician health program is, I'm sure just among those that are very ethical above the board, um, the people who run it, I have a very high opinion of them. Um, but we see all of the stuff in the press about PHPs and how there are all these investigations and questions about, um, you know, conflicts of interest, making physicians pay for, you know, really involved treatment out of state. <laughs> right. It's And so I guess the to define a PHP is most, I think all states have these right now. They're basically mm-hmm. um, what the physician health plans, is that their, 
Is that what the PHP mm-hmm. stands for? Physician health programs. Yep. Yeah, health yeah. programs. And so this is something very common if you have a physician with, say, a substance abuse issue. Mm-hmm. And so you might hear lots of people say, oh, they're, you know, a PHP. So you might have to, you know, pee in a cup at certain random times or you have, you have to go through a detox program, a rehab mm-hmm. program, something like that. Um, and so if there's anyone who's who is felt to be unsafe to practice, I suppose, they're placed in these programs and that's what you're mm-hmm. referring to. And so, right. and so your, and so your nonprofit is a sort of a way for people to get help before they have to go to some program like this where, you know, we could assume that it's, it's not known within the health system, but if you're in a city with one or two health systems, it's, it's going to be probably hard for someone in the administrative portion to not know that someone isn't participating in one of these programs. And right. so they're going to, even if they're, they may think that you're doing well or whatever, it, they're going to have a, you know, they're going to have a, you know, they're crosswise at you, right? Or um, mm-hmm. they're going to be watching more carefully or whatever. And maybe things that ordinarily wouldn't be concerning, they're going to look at and say, oh, maybe this person's, you know, bothered by whatever when it was you know, mm-hmm. just whatever, you know, may just not have been anything, but the, mm-hmm. their perception is going to change of you. Exactly. And I think it's, I mean, I, don't find any shame in psychiatric illness. I think, you know, it's so common. I mean, half of us have some kind of diagnosable psychiatric illness in our lifetime. So it's really, it's really commonplace, um, but it still has the stigma. And of course we are not going to, um, the only, we are just absolutely ironclad unless there's, you know, concern for safety, because of course we don't want anyone to be practicing in a dangerous way or, um, be in a position position to harm themselves or anybody else. But, you know, we, we aren't going to give your information to any of these companies that index it or sell it um, or any of that. Um, We're just, we're completely independent and that may not be necessary, but we just, we just want to make sure that we are safe. Um, And and so, you know, the uh, service you offer, I mean, many of them are straightforward, at least in just looking at there, you have psychiatric care, you provide subsidized care for the, the, the uh, psychiatric programs. We're working on that. Yep. <laughs> right. And right. I mean, obviously with funding that will come along, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, stigma reduction, advocacy, anonymous discussion groups. Those are fairly straightforward. So mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting. You, you also have a no strings pharmacy. Uh, it, it's not set up. I realize you're still working mm-hmm. on that because it's probably yeah. from a regulatory standpoint, it's probably somewhat of a nightmare with you have 50 uh, pharmaceutical <laughs> regulatory boards trying bit, to figure out. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what is your, what is your vision for this no string pharmacy? I mean, is it, are you just looking at psychiatric meds or what exactly is the plan? Well, so pretty excited about this actually. Um, so uh, a couple, a few months ago I was at my pharmacy I won't name it, but I'm sure you can guess. (laughs) And I discovered that um, my medications with my insurance were about 31% more expensive than they would be if I went through GoodRx or another. You don't say. I've never heard of such a thing. I know. Aren't you shocked? (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, man, this is enough. I, I I can't contend with this anymore. And I thought, you know, every time we prescribe something for someone through organization, they're going to have to go to one of these pharmacies. Um, and it really sits not very nicely with me that they're, they're making all this profit on my patient's backs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's, it's dirty. It's not transparent. I mean, the very concept of informed consent is not happening in our healthcare system right now, which 
is um, I, I people need to know what's happening um, and not in a conspiracy theory kind of way, just really transparency, objectivity. And so that is what we want to do with this pharmacy. So, so basically what we want to do with this pharmacy um, is we're going to be purchasing medications from directly from a wholesaler. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that completely cuts out the GPOs and PBMs. So there's no additional profit right. Um, right. going to people um, or middlemen that don't add anything to the value of what we're doing. Uh, of course. Um, and, you know, we're going to be just super transparent about the costs. Um, some medications actually are going to be less expensive than you would be able to get them mm-hmm. at a typical pharmacy. Um, and some might not be, but we have some, a few ideas for that too. Um, so we really just don't want people to have to pay way too much for their medications. Um, I've interviewed a number of direct primary care physicians. And I mean, this sounds many ways like you're setting up a nonprofit that's on a we'll say national scale. I know mm-hmm. you've rolling out to a certain amount of states mm-hmm. and I, I imagine your attention's eventually to all 50 states at some point, right. but uh, you're kind of having a, a direct primary care sort of feel to it yeah. that you offer pharmaceutical supplies. You don't have a direct patient relationship in the sense that there's a membership fee or anything like right. that, but you're going to, you're just going to have, I guess all sorts of different aspects of it, which is very interesting. I mean, and as much as you you talk about the learned helplessness, which I totally agree that you know most of us have for all sorts of things, whether it's you know an annoying speed limit on the road <laughs> or uh, or whether you can't you have to follow some sort of dumb rule in the hospital mm-hmm. and collecting data that you don't you know you know doesn't affect patient care. Uh, but you see physicians more and more, I feel, are finding innovative ways and in being disruptive, mm-hmm. not in <laughs> bad disruption, right. but disruptive in the market sense where they are actually mm-hmm. finding good workarounds in the system. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're setting up a nonprofit that for psychiatric care for physicians and well, all healthcare p- professionals mm-hmm. and providing these, you know, pharmaceuticals, I, I suppose the ultimate goal mm-hmm. and it all, tr- all fully transparent. And, uh, there must've been something that was it. I mean, there must've been some reason you came up with this idea, right? I mean, you, who are you watching that you <laughs> came up with all these, you didn't, I can't imagine you came up with this all on your own. Oh, uh. Well, I I would say if you are you're really brilliant just so you know. No. <laughs> I I would say I I do a lot of reading and a lot okay. of plotting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not to sound nefarious or anything. Right. No. I'll take it over the world all that. It's kind of like uh I'm a problem seeker, I guess. Um because I think it's just really exhilarating to see a problem and just think, wow, there's actually a workaround for this that is viable and realistic and easy to implement. Um, it's really exciting. And I think psychiatry is the perfect place to start with something like this. And really, among other reasons, one of the biggest um, drivers for our goal to become a national corporation is that if this is widespread enough, if people really unite and th- we're seeing this happen all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's going to be really powerful, and I think we have we have a pretty good chance of actually changing the tides. Not we, this organization, but we, as you know, a physician community, um, physician patient, everyone else community. This all of this stuff affects everybody in our communities, um, whether they know sure. it or not, which is really scary. Um, 
And I don't want to see this mass exodus of physicians anymore. I, I'm t I, I don't want to see them dying. I don't want to see them leaving because they can't tolerate it anymore um, because the purpose and passion has left their profession. That's it's, we're going to be in trouble if all the physicians are gone. So, sure. and well, if, if we thrive, then the patients thrive. Exactly. Right. I mean, you're not going to provide good care if you're not, do, if you're not taking care of yourself mm -hmm. and doing well. Right. And that's not just a physical thing, but that's also the, the emotional, mental aspect of, mm -hmm. of medicine. Yeah. Uh, so the next obvious question. So you've created this Hope for Docs, mm -hmm. and which is a great name, great segue. <laughs> uh, what do you, what's, where's your funding coming from? How big of the staff do you have? What sort of, you know, what's the infrastructure for this, this project? Because, I mean, honestly, when I was a resident, I was pretty excited if I figured out where I was going to get my deal, meal the next day to come up with like a, a 501c3 and build all this stuff. I, and you have three kids. I don't, I'm not, I mean, I don't, you may have more day, hours a day than the average person. I'm not sure. I wish but, I did. So, I mean, who do you have with you? How many other physicians are in this venture? All that sort of thing. Sure. So um, let's see. Um, back in March, um, my co-founder came on, her name is Kim Wilton. She has worked in, um, and kind of administrative capacity. And she's also been a mental health tech for the children's PHP here in the area. And she is brilliant beyond, she doesn't even realize it. <laughs> uh, but she is just an extraordinary individual. She's so smart and so organized and she's really, she's really the heart behind this. Um, and so you know, with her support as to how this is happening. Um, uh, we, we applied for the 501c3 um, back in, at the end of, let's see, February. And the IRS, I hope you're sitting down, had a 12-day turnaround time. <laughs> so that what? was, I know, I couldn't believe it. I just thought, man, this is... <laughs> When you're telling me that you that you met her in just March, you're talking about March of this year, right? Oh no, no, no. She just so actually, March of last year. So we actually, I worked with her um, two years ago when all of this okay. sort of started, um, but gotcha. we had had no contact until probably February of this year. So the organization was established in November of eighteen, um, just because I was like, it was really. I mean, I'll be honest. I think it's sort of uh, there's a big component of self-preservation. Um, uh -huh, yeah, yeah. So I feel like if there's this opportunity and it's easy to do it, what reasons do I have to not? Um, so that's really what it was. And then, and then she came on and it's, it's been rolling. So now it is, uh, Kim and me, and then we just hired a COO who is, oh my gosh, she's, she's a powerhouse. She has raised over $650 million for, um, over a hundred pretty prominent nonprofits, um, which would be highly recognizable, um, on a national level. And so she is just, she's amazing. Um, and so then we have uh, about seven doctors who are spanning the seven states that we are going to be launching in. Um, and they're going to be contractors for us at the, um, at the outset. Um, and then we've got our board of directors. So, um, we're actually kind of, in the process of building that right now, but we have an attorney and a pharmacist and a couple people who've got business degrees. And then um, currently on our board is an RN and um, we've got a police officer who's probably going to be joining our board pretty soon. And um, so we've got lots of support. Um, and as far as the financial support, really uh, 
I don't know if it's smart to say this to the world, but uh, I, <laughs> we have a little bit of seed money um, and I've been basically supporting it by moonlighting. So, um, but it, but it's low overhead, which is really awesome. Um, and that's, yeah. it's just going to make it so much easier to serve as many people as possible. And so we're really excited and we're going to be doing some like music and art therapy programs in, in the Ohio area um, at first and then we're going to have probably a gardening program for the children of first responders and physicians um, so we've got some other projects in the works but um, I, I'm st- I'm you know I was amazed when you said that the iris turned around in 12 days but I'm <laughs> frankly more amazed that we're recording this here the first week of, of June and you said ah oh, you know we brought some people on in March and in three months you've got this you've got a CEO who's raised hundreds of millions of dollars for other nonprofit organizations you've created a board you've got pretty good looking website and you have all your services kind of mapped out and you've already found seven physicians to work. I mean, you've been pretty busy. You've have, are you, are you like not in rotations right now or are you doing this? Is this all just you doing on the side or like weekends or something? Yeah. You know, it's been basically a nights and weekends thing for me. Um, I do sleep. Wow. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but it's, I, I don't know. It's what, it's what I do for fun these days. I think, I mean, it's, it's just exciting because, and there are so many people who are really invested in this mission um, because I would say probably everyone, everyone has some kind of connection to a first responder or a nurse or a physician and they know what's going on. And so it's, and the reason actually that we have this incredible um, COO is because she's, she gets it too. And Mm -hmm. she's way out of our league. (laughs) <laughs> we're, right. we're pinching ourselves. Like, how did we, how did we, her name is Julie Forgash. Um, and we just think like, how is this happening? So I think really this organization kind of ha- has a mind of its own. It has a life of its own, <laughs> not, yeah. not in a creepy way, but it's, it's really, um, it's running itself. So, it's just, I mean, yeah, of course it takes some attention and TLC, yeah. but it's, it's so enjoyable. And I think, I think it has great potential and, it's really pretty incredible that we have such an opportunity because this is something that we can implement very easily on a huge scale. Um, and on top of that, it's something that is so needed. It's, it's like a perfect combination. So, you know, if, if we can secure the funding that we hope we can, um, and I actually, I'm not too worried about it. Maybe I should be, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, it's, I think the outlook is good and I think people are really going to be behind it. And I hope what happens is that we can gain enough, you know, numbers um, that we can really sort of open the door to this happening in in other fields. You know, if we will expand to primary care and join the DPC movement in the future. Oh yeah. Um, Who knows? Maybe we'll base the option if, if the, uh, you know, step Z put in play. <laughs> right. Well, it's pretty exciting. And to do all this while you're resident, I guess it's, uh, that's the part that amazes me. I guess, you know, senior residents, you have a little bit more time often if it's like mm-hmm. most residencies, yeah. but still, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's very interesting because I've talked to so many physicians now who are, I guess it's more entrepreneurial than, than, than others. And I would not consider myself entrepreneurial. I mean, this is like the mm-hmm. most, exciting venture I've done is just make this little podcast, but uh, for people to actually, 
Oh, well, thanks. But it's, uh, and it's also a testament to how weird physicians are that we think it's kind of fun to do all these sorts of things. (laughs) I know. Um, Like in my spare time, I put together 501c3 and, you know, Mm -hmm. raise my kids and do this sort of thing. Um, but it, I can definitely see your, your chemistry training in the background in, in this, Mm -hmm. as you, you're watching these pieces come together and you're sort of building something like you are like a compound, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess it's pretty much the same sort of mindset. Well, uh, I'd recommend anyone to go to hopefordocs.org. If you have someone who is, I guess, got problems or you know someone who might benefit from this service or who might want to get involved, right? I mean, I think that's probably a good place to contact you. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. We are absolutely open to volunteers. We're hiring physicians. We're hiring therapists. We are in the process of growing. And we're actually rebranding a little bit. We are uh, going to be called Hope for Responders. And the way we're defining responders is you know, these people who have responded to this calling to, you know, help other people. So um, that's what we're going to be. And lo- as long as it's not providers. I oh, my gosh. That, that word is like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I just I just can't handle it. It's like Mm-mm. it's like nails on a chalkboard oh, to me now. Yep. So right, <laughs> I'm so. with you. <laughs> OK, Um where, where else can people find more about you? I mean, I'll have lots of things in the show notes page, which is theparadox.com slash 050. Um, where would they find more on you on Twitter, Facebook, internet, yeah. all those sorts of things? So we are currently building our social media platforms. Uh, we do have a Facebook page. And um, once I have a little bit more time in two and a half weeks, it'll be, it'll be on. <laughs> so um, yeah, pretty much the website. We've got a lot of, uh, you know, contact us forms. We've got our uh, email address and yeah, lots of different ways to contact us. But uh, info at hopefordocs.org is probably the, the easiest way at this point. And is there a way to follow you on Twitter or is that something? Oh, there will Instagram be. <laughs> yep. or, or yeah. No? So we've got a Twitter account. We've got an Instagram account and those are about to roll out in the next few weeks. So it's all um, a work in progress, but we've got a very, uh, pretty concrete plan at this point and we've implemented some of the stuff so we're we're going to be actually launching our clinical services next month um in our first seven states so you know if you're interested in becoming a patient or joining a group hop to our website and um you know if also i guess the other big thing is that we as a grassroots organization we really want to be what people need um barring breaking the law, we will do what we'll do anything (laughs) if it's going to help. So if you have ideas, we love feedback. We're going to be begging for feedback (laughs) forever. Right. So, yeah, I feel like I do for this podcast as well. I think, you know, it's important to have humility to, to, um, to recognize that you don't have the answers and you don't have the solutions all the time. But if you, if you find the problems that may there, you can, you can try to sometimes work out, you know, ways of, of fixing them, but until you know about them. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. I really appreciate it. So we'll look for more for you from Hope for Docs and then Hope for Responders. And that's all, that'll still be .org, I imagine, yes. too, at some point. What, the last question I have for you is this program, I mean, you're hoping to launch it nationwide. Mm-hmm. How, are you, how are you looking to get people who are generally pretty busy and not paying attention to this sort of thing? Uh, to to know and learn about 
your organization? You know, how are you going to get nurses and EMTs and physicians mm -hmm. to find out about you? Yeah. So basically we are going to diversify. Um, we're going to be using absolutely every marketing technique there is because the, the first obstacle is getting people to know about us. Um, yeah, right. So, so we're going to be doing lots of social media stuff. We've actually got our explainer video in the editing uh, stages right now. So we're pretty excited to see that. And um, yeah, we're going to be doing um, ads. We're going to be traveling around um, to talk to fire stations, police stations. Um, and then of course our board is going to be integral to the communication process because they have lots of connections. And um, we're also working with uh, John and Michelle Deal, who are the parents of uh, Dr. Kevin Deal, who died um, by suicide just before he graduated from medical school. So um, mm. they have been an immense support for us too. And um, we, we really want to do right by them. So. Well, and I lied because I actually have one other question. So uh, I think it's it'd be pretty straightforward for police and fire and many of these services to reach out to an organization that's going to be providing mental health services for their um, employees yeah. or an opportunity. I see it a little differently with health systems um, because in some ways, you know, promoting a system promoting you is in, in, in some way sort of undermines their system, whether, mm -hmm. whether they have mental health services within their organization or not. Sure. Um, certainly if they do, it'd be even, they'd be even less likely to try and uh, to recommend their, mm -hmm. their, um, their nurses and physicians to go yeah. seek help elsewhere. Absolutely true. And also, yeah. And, and I, and I just wonder how, I, I mean, I hope you're successful. I guess I don't know what your plans are to try and penetrate that because, mm -hmm. you know, I imagine there'll be some resistance there within the health system because they like to think that just by uh, you know giving some donuts at a meeting or something, that's going to fix the, mm -hmm. the burnout issue. Yeah. You know, I think, of course, that's going to be an obstacle. There are a lot of obstacles that we are actively anticipating, and we've got like plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D for almost everything. Yeah, right. Um, but really what it comes down to is that people are going to be about the issues that we're facing today. And people are pretty savvy about what's going on in our, in our healthcare system. And I think that people are probably not, um, you know, most people aren't completely uh, pleased with how the system is. Um, and they don't necessarily always know why it is how it is, um, because there is a very worrisome lack of transparency. Um, but, we are also here to educate and we want to illuminate the things that people don't know about. Um, and I think, I think people are becoming very wise about what we're seeing. So I think they will seek us out on their own. Well, Dr. Marty McGrath, thank you so much for this conversation. This is really, really interesting uh, that you've set up this whole thing on your own, mostly. <laughs> and, uh, and that you got it all up and running in a relatively short period of time. And I think it's, it sounds like it could be a tremendous asset and, and value for lots of people. So well, thank you so I much. I wish you the best of success. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what The Doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash theparadox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com.